welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tay, aka somebody who I'm very interested to get their thoughts on what was recently reported earlier this week by Shams that Netflix is creating an NBA docu series, uh, kind of model like the NFL's quarterback show, and it's supposed to feature Demonte Sabonis, Anthony Edwards, LeBron James, Jason Tatum, and Jimmy Butler. And so, assuming those are the five players that the season follows, of those guys, which ones are you most excited to like get? kind of a behind-the-scenes look at? I mean, obviously, LeBron, I feel like anything with him behind the scenes is going to be interesting. Uh, Anthony Edwards, because he's the young, upcoming guy, like maybe potential face of the league. I kind of don't care about Jason Tatum, but I am still interested, but not nearly as much as the other guys. And obviously, Jimmy Butler. Yeah, everybody named Mama know I love me some Jimmy Butler. So it'll be interesting to see because, like, he's pretty private of a guy. And so just kind of getting to pull back that curtain again, again, I think could be pretty interesting. Um, same for Anthony Edwards. Like, he obviously has a big personality on the court and off the court. So it'll be cool just to, like, get to see a little bit more of that. And then, like you said, I mean, LeBron is LeBron. So I'm sure if people weren't going to tune in before, you attach LeBron's James name to it and a lot more people are going to care. So, I'm excited to see how it all shakes out. I'm going to snitch on myself, but I still haven't watched Quarterback. It's been on my list for a while, and I heard it's it was, really good. It, it was really good. Like, me and you talked about it. I think we talked about it over and off air. Because of Quarterback, I like Kirk Cousins significantly more than I did in the past. I can like, believe it. Like, he's just such a good, genuine dude. And, like, just the way that he, he goes about his business, like, I can't do nothing but, like, respect the dude. That's real. Yeah, I've heard some great things about him um, being on the show. They A lot of people said, like, the Marcus Mariota standpoint was pretty interesting, especially considering how things fell out between him and the Falcons last year. So it's definitely on my to-do list. I got some other shows I need to binge to, but hopefully I can make it happen sooner rather than later. But uh, this week's show, I mean – what a week around the NFL. I mean, not only are we preparing for the wild card round, start of the playoffs, then we got coaching, departures, free agent, I mean, not free agents, front office changes. And then on top of all this, Nick Saban decides to retire too. So obviously we are going to get into all of those talks with coaching changes um, and then rank the head coach openings and then make our predictions for the wild card round. Um, and then with the NBA, just go through some extensions that took place with Eric Spolstra and Kawhi Leonard, talk about some of the biggest injury news around the NBA. And then kind of close things out, uh, discussing whether or not the Nuggets disrespected Carmelo Anthony by giving Nikola Jokic number 15. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes are our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So without further ado, let's go ahead and kick this bad boy off with the college football player spotlight. And at first I had every intention of hyping up Michigan for winning the national title, which still congratulations to them. But obviously, when Nick Saban retires, that's going to be the biggest news in college football, period. And so just what was your reaction when you heard that he was retiring and just what comes next for Alabama? My reaction was I'm not surprised. Um, it's being stated, he stated his, his 
point on like the view of the Karen State of college football as far as terms of NIL and all of that stuff. Um, and I think honestly, with Alabama kind of like not being that power, like they've been a prominent team, it's, but like they haven't been that dominant powerhouse in years past. When I saw it, I was like, I'm not surprised. It definitely shocked me, but I wasn't surprised to see that it happened. Yeah, I'd be lying if I said it was that big of a shock for me either. Um, and I had like, my response was twofold. On the one hand, I'm like, hell yeah. That's one less person I gotta worry about, like just because I'm an LSU fan. And for the past decade and a half, I've had to go up against Nick Saban, who has given me blues and headaches. Um, but on the other hand, it's nothing but respect. Like there have been some great coaches, especially great college football coaches, but Nick Saban is by far the best coach I've ever witnessed. And I mean, the fact that he was able to win so many championships and not only win championships and have guys thrive on the college ranks, but were able to push out some of the best players of a generation, you know, coming out of Alabama, whether it be the Julio Joneses, you know, just the Amari Coopers who were amazing as well. Uh, Jalen Hurts, who's shining. Uh, same could be said for Tua Tonga Valoa, Marlon Humphrey. Uh, I mean, pretty much every position you could look at, Alabama has had somebody come from there and thrive. And I think that's just a testament to how amazing of a coach that Nick Saban was. So it's crazy to think that he's gone, but, I mean, he has literally nothing else to prove. And so, in your opinion, who who fills those shoes? Who steps in for Alabama? Because as of right now, it's already been announced that Oregon's head coach Dan Lanning is going back to Eugene. Uh, Mike Norvell, guy you know we both love, first currently the head coach at Florida State, he's not going. Who could you realistically see taking that spot? Because, I mean, those are some big shoes to fill. I mean, it's funny, right, as you said, that I get the ESPN notification saying that Washington's head coach, Kalen DeBoer, mm-hmm. is probably going to be, they're like, Alabama's focusing on him to be the replacement. I can believe it. The thing of it is, is, to me, you talked about it off air. Like, to be the man that steps into those shoes after is going to be one of, not even going to be one of, is one of the hardest things that you're going to do as a head coach. Like, you, like, say for instance, a guy that we just mentioned, a guy that we both love, Mike Norvell. Like, he started out in Memphis, uplifted their programs, highest that he's never reached. Now he's at FSU. And honestly, if, if his quarterback would have never gotten injured, he could very well be a national champion right now. We don't know. But his team would have been in the in the college football playoff, vying for a chance at a championship. And like the fact that he's a guy that he's uplifted every program he's been in. He's like, no, I'm going to stay where I'm at. That shows you how intimidating of a position that head coaching job is. And whoever it is, you just got to have, like, tremendous balls to take that position, in my opinion. I totally agree. And, I mean, it also don't hurt that FSU signed him to a, what, eight-year, $80 million extension. But, yeah, yeah. that's tough because – no matter what you do, and we, we're definitely going to get to this when we get to the NFL side of things, but, like, no matter what you do, you're going to be compared to Nick Saban. If this team 
because Alabama has created such a reputation for being one of, if not the best team in the entire nation, let's say they lose three games next season. That season is going to be viewed as a failure, regardless of how good the team looked and how almost every other team in the nation would take a nine and three season or a possibly 10 and three season. Three losses in Alabama is considered a letdown season just because of the bar that Nick Saban has set. And so, like you said, it's going to take a lot of balls to fill that spot. I could see uh, Washington's coach taking over. I mean, especially because most of his best players are about to head to the draft. And Washington's about to head over to the Big Ten. And not saying that he wouldn't want to be a part of that. But, I mean, you only have so many years of relevancy at Washington. You can be immortal at Alabama. If it works out, of course. So, props to Coach Saban on a terrific career. Very excited to see how Alabama looks. But, uh, all right, let's talk NFL action. Uh, More specifically, let's look back at Week 18. A lot of games that didn't matter, but some that did. For example, the Pittsburgh Steelers defeated the Baltimore Ravens 17-10, and then with the loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars, they made it into the playoffs. Uh, The Houston Texans defeated the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, 23 to 19 win in their end. They make the playoffs eventually win the AFC South due to the Jags loss and the Colts season is over. Uh, Detroit Lions defeat the Minnesota Vikings 30 to 20. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders get the better of the Denver Broncos in the regular season finale 27 to 14. Uh, Saints beat up on the Atlanta Falcons 48 to 17. By the way, for those of you saying Jameis Winston needs to be cut, y'all are wild. Get over it. Like he said in his press conference, so them other 41 points didn't matter. Neither here nor there. Um, to your Tennessee Titans ended the Jag season 28 to. Oh, tw- oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. That ain't my Tennessee Titans no more. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My bad. My bad. I'm sorry. Your former team ended the Jag season, sending them to Cancun 28 to 20. Uh, New York Jets uh, send Bill Belichick home with a loss ending his Patriots tenure, which obviously we'll get to, 17-3. Buccaneers secure the NFC South title against the Carolina Panthers, 9-0. Cincinnati Bengals win kind of a pointless game against the Cleveland Browns, 31-14. Seattle Seahawks edge out the Arizona Cardinals, 21-20. Green Bay Packers solidify their spot in the playoffs, beating the Chicago Bears, 17-9. New York Giants get a convincing win over the Philadelphia Eagles, 27-10. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams defeat uh, the San Francisco 49ers 21-20. Uh, Puka Nakua sets the new single-season record for rookie receptions and receiving yards, so congratulations to him. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs edge out the Los Angeles Chargers 13-12. Dallas Cowboys beat up on the Washington Commanders 38-10. And the Buffalo Bills not only secure the AFC East title, but the second overall seed in the AFC after defeating the uh, Miami Dolphins on Sunday Night Football 21-14. After the week, both you and I went 12-4. and And so with this recap, we're going to do things differently. Like we mentioned, a lot of things that happened in Week 18, or at least a lot of games, didn't really matter. So we're going to like look at things more in a broad view. So with takeaways, instead of doing top three takeaways of the week, we're going to do top three takeaways of this NFL season. So you can start us off. Top three takeaways of this NFL season. Um... Number three, if it wasn't for Kevin Stefanski, D'Amico Ryans would be NFL coach of the year. I think D'Amico still should get it. I personally think he should get it, but just 
if it wasn't for the whole Joe Flacco over it all, that's what killed Kevin. That's what's going to win for Kevin Stefanski in my mind. I don't know because coming into this season, nobody expected the Texans to be decent. Nonetheless, make the playoffs and win the division with a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback. I don't know. Like I, I see the argument for Stefanski. I mean, he had four different starting quarterbacks, but I find, I find it more impressive what D'Amico did, especially because they have less overall talent. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I just feel like they're going to give it to get Mr. Vance. Honestly, I still think the NFL is still raw about the Predator, so it wouldn't shock me if that plays more of a reason as to why Stefanski doesn't get it because they don't want to get a Browns no credit. Um, Number three for me, please don't let the fact that Justin Jefferson – Missed seven games this season for you. He is still the best receiver in the league. In total, he only had 1,074 yards, which by the rest of his career is a disappointment. But the fact is, he only played in 10 games and became just one of three players in NFL history to top 1,000 yards in 10 or fewer games. Jay Jettis is the man. And not to say there aren't some great receivers in this league. CeeDee Lamb balled out. Take away my personal feelings about Tyreek Hill. He had a great year. A.J. Brown is another one. But when push comes to shove, it doesn't matter who J.J. Jettis is playing. It doesn't matter who his quarterback is. He's going to eat, as he proved this year. So, please believe in a few months when we do our top five receiver ratings, spoiler alert, it's still going to be J.J. Jettis, or at least for me. Yeah. Uh, for me, number two, this was the season that we were expecting that proved that Tyreek Hill – was incredibly important to the Kansas City Chiefs. When you look at that Chiefs offense last year, we were thinking like, oh, they're going to miss Tyree Hill. And they figured out a way to win games and to still be productive. A lot of it was relying upon Travis Kelsey, which we knew. And even this year, he still was 16 yards away from winning, uh, from not winning, but gaining 1,000 yards and extending his streak. But this season, from a receiver standpoint, this is this is that season when you need a Tyreek Hill. This is this season when it's like, okay, when push comes to show, we know 10 is out there and 10 is going to make a play. And I think going into this offseason, the Chiefs are going to do everything that they can to bring in at least one reliable receiver and I think I know who it's going to be they're going shopping <laughs> oh yeah if I can assure you they're going to bring in a wide out whether it be Mike Evans I'll say this I think they're going to bring somebody in free agency and at least draft one receiver this receiving I, room is going to look totally different I think it's either going to be Mike Evans or DeAndre Hopkins I can see that especially if they're like AD Hop if, if I mean the Titans front offense like look you can Spread your wings. We don't want to hold I mean, that. Player option. Oh well. Yeah. So it's like he like, hey, look, I got my money. I see y'all ain't finna go nowhere. I'm out. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like, look, props to him, and he had a good year this year. He had over a thousand yards. He's look for anybody who questioned whether or not D Hop could play. Merry Christmas. This is your reminder. Um. All right. Let's go ahead and move on to uh, my number two. 
And my number two is this season was a crush and blow to running backs argument for more money. We kind of touched on this a little bit when we talked about whether or not the Giants should re-sign Saquon Barkley. And honestly, this year, just on the overall landscape for running backs was not a great one. Again, excluding Christian McCaffrey, he was amazing. But I mean, if you look at the leading rushers this season, you got Christian McCaffrey, who was one, uh, Derrick Henry, who doesn't even really feel real that he's the second leading rusher, but he was. Uh, Kyron Williams, James Cook, DeAndre Swift, James Conner. Those were the top six. None of those guys, with the exception, obviously, of McCaffrey and Henry, are superstar guys. All these guys are on rookie deals. Oh, I'm sorry, with the exception of James Conner, but he's not making a whole bunch of money. And so the guys who were have needing big deals, like a Saquon, like a Josh Jacobs, like a Tony Pollard, they kind of fell into the background. They had pretty disappointing years. And so if you're a front office, it's like, well, we could get production like this from somebody and pay the fraction of the cost. And so while obviously I think these guys are going to end up having jobs, I think that while there was so much talk about running backs getting paid better and improving the franchise and tag and things like that, it's pretty clear that this season, it's not going to happen. Yeah. For me, my number one is, and I know we still have to um, factor in the playoffs, but this was the season, in my opinion, that's a, that finally submitted, that should have submitted Lamar Jackson as one of the, as one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, it's a major contingent of people before this season, that was they didn't believe he was an elite quarterback. Um, was saying like he's only good at running. He's a running back. He plays in a gimmick offense. You put him now. He's in a pro style offense, and he's looked the best he's looked throughout the course of his whole career. And his team has the best record. And yeah, I think like that showed like yes, this playoffs are going to mean a lot for the Baltimore Ravens. But if I'm just talking about regular season and excluding the playoffs, Lamar Jackson definitely submitting himself as the only quarterback. Yeah. And, I mean, for my Ravens fans or just people who care in general, Mark Andrews is back at practice. So, he gets healthier leading to the playoffs. Very excited about that. Uh, but, yeah, Lamar had a terrific year. I mean, I told you this, like, early in the season. I know I've said it on here before. Like, individual awards to me don't matter because I want a Super Bowl. Like, this is one of those years that feels like Super Bowl or bust. But even with that being said, I wholeheartedly believe that Lamar Jackson should win MVP. And if he doesn't win MVP, the actually, I'll tell you that. The only person who could win MVP, and I would, I'd feel some type of way but wouldn't be pissed off about it, would be Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. But if they try to give it to Dak or Brock Purdy, it's BS, and they just wanted to hold Lamar because Lamar has earned it. Um, but not number one is, I know, kind of like you mentioned, my takeaway is a little bit contingent on the playoffs as well, but still, I feel like we are truly entering a new era in the NFL. I mean, just looking at all the coaching turnover this year, some of the teams that have become stalwarts and what we expect as greatness have kind of fallen off a bit. And obviously this has been happening over the past couple of years, but it's really kind of synced in. I mean, the end of the Patriots dynasty. You know, Pete Carroll, who's been such a mainstay for the Seattle Seahawks, he's gone. What the hell is going on with the Chiefs? Obviously they're going to be competitive, but it's still very different. Um, the Dallas Cowboys, who knows what they're going to be like. This is 
the past 20, 20 plus years in the NFL, we kind of knew what we were going to get. Like we knew who the quarterbacks of the future were. We knew who were the best. We knew who were the best teams. We figured that stuff out. But now the NFL is kind of entering this area of such parity that it feels like any given year somebody could come out of the woodwork and have success. And I think it makes it a lot of fun because it gets boring seeing the Patriots win all the time. It gets boring seeing the Cowboys run away with the AFC, I mean, um, NFC East. It gets boring seeing the Packers win every game in the NFC North. So, like, just seeing all these different teams have success and kind of seeing the old guard of coaches and players come out. Like, obviously, nostalgia-wise, it kind of sucks, but I'm excited to see the future of the NFL and, like, who comes out as, like, the next crop of generational players. Yeah, it's been fun. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our most impressive offensive, defensive, and rookie players this season. For me, offensively, I'm going to go Lamar. Again, like, the season that he put up, given the circumstance of everyone saying, like, oh, you're about to go into, like, a pro-style offense. We're really going to see what type of quarterback you are. And he put up his best season. I got to go Lamar. I, I think Lamar has been the best quarterback overall this season. I think he should win MVP. But I was most impressed by Dak Prescott. Mainly because I've been one of the biggest people who, like, kind of have an asterisk by Dak. Like, not saying he's a bad quarterback. And I agree that because he plays for the Cowboys, he gets a lot more flack than he probably deserves. But when people try to put him in the upper echelon as, like, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, like, pretty much every year before this one was like, yo, y'all are you tripping again. Like, you talk, you saying all this, but not really having the evidence to back it up. And this year... Without a doubt, he looked like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I mean, it takes a lot to call your shot before the season starts and say, hey, I'm not going to throw 10 interceptions. It's very easy. It's hard to do that, especially when you have a history of throwing multiple interceptions. But what did he do? He had a 36-9 to touchdown interception ratio. He was third in the league in overall passing yards with 4,516. And he led the Cowboys to a division win. So, like I said, I still – I wouldn't say he's the best quarterback in the league. I think blow for blow, Jalen Hurts is better overall. But this season, Dak has really, really, uh, really showed me something. So I got to give him his props. That's true. Uh, from a defensive standpoint, there's no other person in my mind besides T.J. Watt. Like, every year you look up and – when he's when he's on the field, he wrecks games and he destroys games. And being quite honest, if he would have never gotten hurt, he would have had twenty sacks this season. Yeah. I'm I strongly believe that. And like, yes, the season that Miles Garrett had was amazing. Yes, the season that Michael Parsons had was amazing. But when you line them numbers up, they don't compare to T.J. Watt. Look, this is another case of I totally agree with you. I think T.J. Watt is the best defensive player in the league. He a billion percent should get defensive player of the year. 
But if I'm talking who I was most impressed by, I'm going Raven safety, Kyle Hamilton. Second-year guy, and I mean, he did literally everything for Baltimore. He had 81 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, three sacks, a forced fumble, four picks, a pick six, 13 pass deflections. Like, the Ravens' defense, in my opinion, was the best one in the NFL, and a large part of that was the play of Kyle Hamilton. Just the jump he had from his rookie year to this year to where he proved himself not just to be one of the best players on the Ravens defense, but one of the best safeties in the NFL. And just the way he was able to evolve his game and just show off that versatility in so many different ways and make so many impact plays, that was really, really impressive to me. But all right, what about most impressive rookie this year? I feel like we, for me, rookie it's not just one rookie, it's two, and they're both on the Southern team. It has to be CJ Stroud and Will Anderson. To think, like, they came into this season, like you stated earlier, like, everyone had them vying for the bottom of their division. And the fact that both of those guys played a crucial part in not only turning their team around but making the playoffs, it can't be nobody else but those two guys, in my opinion. Puka Nakua has a great argument, but like, it can't be, in my opinion, it can't be nobody but one of them two dudes. Again, this is the third time I'm saying something like this. I think CJ Stroud will win Offensive Rookie of the Year, as he should. He's a quarterback. Quarterbacks usually get the nod and everything we talked about with the Texans. But I was more impressed by Puka considering this is a fifth-round pick who a lot of people really hadn't heard of, came from BYU, so it's not this major program, and lit up the NFL. 105 receptions, 1,486 receiving yards, six touchdowns. Like, Puka Nakua was everywhere. He was fourth in the league in receiving yards. Um, I need to see where he ranks in terms of overall receptions, but just a guy who literally came out of the woodwork. Because coming into this year, everybody's talking about Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup, and rightfully so. Cooper Cup is the man. But I was really impressed by what Puka was able to do because he came out of nowhere. With C.J. Stroud, you're the second overall pick. Like, I, I expect you to perform at least decent, you know. And obviously, he blew out my expectations. But Puka, again, another guy who came out of nowhere. Again, I got to give him his props. I don't think he's going to get the hardware for it, but... It was a head, he had a hell of a year. All right, who was your most disappointing player this season? Because on this, we might agree. Most disappointing. Uh, I'm going to let you go first. All right, mine was easy. Uh, Trevor Lawrence. Like, this was a year, like, coming off of last year, people were feeling really feeling good about the Jags, thinking the Jags had some potential, like, came back in that crazy wild card game against the Chargers. Fast forward, they play against the Chiefs, push them to their limit in the divisional round. Sure, they lose, but it gave people hope that we're finally starting to see Trevor Lawrence, this, this amazing prospect, this terrific elite quarterback come into play. And then fast forward, what do we get? We get a 9-8 and eight season. They fall to the best teams in the league. They show that they are not on that level. He has a 21 touchdown to 16 ton turnover rate. And choked when it mattered the most. Like, that Titans game, I don't know how much of that game if you watch, if any of it, but it was just a bad game. Like, his first interception, I can't really say too much about it. Evan Ingram, Evan Ingram should have caught the ball. It is what it is. But that second pick was bad. 
him overthrowing, um, I think it was Evan Ingram on that fourth down play was bad. It was just way too many moments this season where it's like you're just waiting for Puka to, like, step up. You're waiting for Puka to be that guy. I mean, not Puka, I'm sorry. Trevor Lawrence to be that guy, and we just never got it. Yeah. So, in terms of that game, I pretty much watched everything, at, like, at, like from the middle of the second quarter on. And I actually agree with you. He's definitely Trevor Lawrence. I almost forgot about him because that's how bad it was. It's just like, I don't remember anything that he did besides of being an underwhelming quarterback. Like, yeah, like, not really getting any wins against major competition and then going into that last game where it's like, okay, if we win this game, we make the playoffs, I can silence some of my doubters. If I, even if I lose in the playoffs, I can at least show that, like, hey, when it's time for me to win a big game, I can win a big game. And you you lose to a team that had absolutely nothing to play for. And you played a big role in that loss. It has to be Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And, again, like, this is a Titans defense that you picked apart just a few weeks ago. Like, it's not a Titans defense, especially in the secondary that was playing for much. Like you said, Jeffrey Simmons is out. They already got rid of Tierra Tart. Like, just a very disappointing year across the boards for the Jags in general. But when you get a guy like Trevor Lawrence, who's supposed to be the next coming, who's talked about as one of the greatest quarterback prospects the NFL has ever seen in the first three years, it's been pretty underwhelming. But all right, let's go ahead and turn the corner. Let's look at the current playoff picture. Um, and you know what? Let's. Let's switch the order a little bit. While we look at the playoff picture, we can go ahead and make our wild card predictions. Just a heads up for, like, diehard football fans. Early in the week, me and Leek Robinson, a.k.a. a podcast OG, like, went in depth with each matchup. Y'all can check that out. It's a good listen. We talk about it a lot. Listen to that. Uh, but, yeah, just for the sake of conversation, let's go ahead and look at those wild card matchups, starting off in the AFC. Uh, we got the Buffalo Bills versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. I got Bills. What about you? I got Bills. I think it's going to be – I think this game is going to be a little bit closer than people think, but I still think the Bills are going to win. All right, next up we got the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Miami Dolphins in, in what is expected to be one of the coldest games in NFL history. I'm going Chiefs. The long and short of it is I don't know if I trust Tua enough to not only win in bad weather, but win in a big game. Same for everything. Like, I was watching Get Up this morning, and they were like, two was from Hawaii. He played football in Alabama in college, and now he's playing in the NFL lane. Two has never seen a, a – I wouldn't be surprised if two had never saw snow before. So, yeah, I know. I have to go with Chiefs. He said in an interview, um, I think it was last year, he was like, it snowed in Alabama. But, I mean, real talk, how many times do you actually think it snowed in Alabama? It may have snowed in Alabama, but I can assure you it's never been, like, negative degrees. So it's going to be a whole other monster. All right, last but not least, uh, first game of the weekend, Houston Texans hosting the Cleveland Browns. I'm very excited for this game because 
this is going to be a very different roster that the Texans are trying out than they did in their earlier season matchup, which is why I think Texans pull out the win. Yeah, and then also here the news earlier today the Denzel Ward is probably gonna be out. Yeah, I gotta go with the Texans too. Yeah, I saw Denzel Ward is probably gonna be out. Grant Delpit was already ruled out. I think they ruled out Cedric Tillman as well. They I mean the I'll say this, the Bear Browns uh the Browns defense has been hurt almost all year. And they've still managed to play well, but it's the playoffs. One bad game could cost you. Um, all right, let's look at the NFC matchups. Dallas Cowboys versus the Green Bay Packers. I got Cowboys. Oh, this is so tough. Because I very well can see the Cowboys winning this game handily. But I also can see the Green Bay Packers running all over them and winning in a close game and giving me the sweet joy of them being put out of the playoffs. But I'm going to go Cowboys because the Packers defense is trash. And they're young. That is a young team. Like, I want to say their top five or six leaders in receptions are all first or second year players. And then with Jordan Love, this is his first year starting. Man, they they got some babies out there. Um, all right, next up, probably the game I'm most looking forward to on the NFC side, the Detroit Lions hosting the Los Angeles Rams. My friend Malik made a good point where he kind of views these two teams as the same team. I don't think they're, like, identical, but there are definitely some similarities. But in the end, it, for me, it comes down to who do I trust more, Matthew Stafford or Jared Goff, and that answer is Stafford. So I, I think Rams pull off the upset. I'm in agreement with you. I think they, yeah, I'm in agreement. I don't, I don't, I don't think they're the same. I think they have like a similar aura about them, though. It's two teams that overachieve. Like, cause I think when I think about the Rams, they're an offense-heavy team led by like yes, they have on uh, Kyron Williams, but they're kind of a pass. First team, and then on the flip side of it, we all know the Lions want to run the ball. So, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fun, though. Um, All right, last but not least, we got the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Monday Night Football. I'm picking the Eagles because they should win, but I don't trust – I don't trust the Eagles right now worth a damn, but I also don't trust – the Bucks secondary in Baker Mayfield. And so I'm going to give the slight edge to Philly, but it would not shock me if they lost this game. Same. And it's also hard because isn't A.J. Brown hurt right now too? Um, I know Devontae Smith is hurt, and I think A.J. Brown is too, but I haven't heard about him potentially missing the game. Yeah, I'm not talking about it from the standpoint of Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He banged up. I think he hurt his knee. And I think, and I know, we know for a fact that he drew the Jalen Hurts to his finger. I'm still, again, I'm still picking Philly. But if I woke up Tuesday morning and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Eagles, I would not be surprised. Yeah, me either. All right, let's talk the offensive, defensive, and rookie players we're watching this week. Offensively, I'm watching Tua. Like I said, I don't trust him. This is the biggest game arguably of his career 
And, I mean, he's proven that he can stay healthy, which is great, but he still struggled to beat, like, 500 teams. I saw a stat that the New England Patriot beat, Patriots beat more teams with a 500-plus record than the Dolphins did, which is insane. And so not only are you playing in the cold, not only are you battling that, but you're also going up against a team that has the most championship experience of anybody in the field. So Tua got to show me something. Yeah, for me, I am going to go with Aaron Jones. Um, I feel like the only way that the Packers have a legitimate chance of beating the Cowboys is if they get their run game going. And we know that the Cowboys' run defense isn't good. So I think he's he, he's going to have a heavy workload this uh this weekend. I feel that. Uh, defensively, I'm also I'm going to go with a Packer. I'm saying Jair Alexander. Ceedee Lamb has had a hell of a season. We'll never take that away from him. And somebody's got to step up on that Packers defense to slow him down. Because he is their best corner and one of their highest paid players, you would expect it to be Jair Alexander. And I think he's going to have to have a good game in order for the Packers to have a shot. For me, defensively, it's going to be Aaron Um, I talked about earlier how the Lions' philosophy is running the ball. AD is a run game record and can make splash plays against the run. I think if he can kind of if him and the defensive line can slow down that run game, they're very well going to get that upset. All right, next up, uh, rookie I'm watching. I feel like we're probably going to agree, but I'm going CJ Stroud. You've made it this far. You've had a really good season. You're going up against a very tough Browns defense, who you didn't see when y'all played earlier this season. It was Case Keenum and Davis Mills. So I want to see how he attacks this defense because, like I said, this is a very different Texas team that the Browns are going to be playing with a much better quarterback under center. And I want to see how he's able to orchestrate the offense against a defense that's going to be coming hot and heavy trying to get him on the ground. Oh, yeah. Same as that. CJ Stroud. All right, last but not least, uh, team we're calling out. Calling out the Texans. Everybody knows my feelings towards Cleveland. I haven't made it a secret. But also, I mean, nobody expected D'Amico, Ryans, and Cole to get this far. I want to see how far they can really go. Ooh, probably not the Steelers. I know that I said they're going to lose. But I also feel like they have the formula to pull off a, a, a wild upset, especially in the type of condition that the game's going to be. It's going to be snow as well. I think the field temperature is supposed to be like zero degrees. Like, you have Najee Harris, you have Jalen Warren. If you can get Josh Allen off the field, you have everything offensively that you could potentially use to, like, get an upset victory. It would genuinely make my day for the Steelers to win this game because they would guarantee they play Baltimore. And just how excited they were and how much crap they were talking because they beat our backups by a touchdown. Oh, I want them. I want the Steelers so bad. So I, I actually hope they win this game because I want my league back. Just the, oh, I, I want it. If I could play anybody in the divisional round as the Ravens, I want Pittsburgh. But all right, so we're doing things a bit differently. We're going to cut out believable or buffoonery. We're changing the order because this week in the coaching world has been insane. Like, we hear about Black Monday, the first Monday after the regular season wraps up. There's a lot of firings, but bump Black Monday. It's been Black Week. Like, it has been chaos across the board. And so let's talk about it. 
First things first, uh, the Washington Commanders have hired a new general manager. Assistant GM for the San Francisco 49ers, Adam Peters, is stepping into that role, while the Panthers have elected to fire their general manager, Scott Ferrer. This was his second season, I believe. Um, looking at some coordinator decisions, the Jacksonville Jaguars have fired Mike Caldwell after his second season at the helm. Spoiler alert, their defense wasn't great, but I don't really think he should have been one getting fired, neither here nor there. Uh, the Chicago Bears have elected to fire their offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, um, and it seems like they're going to be run, running back next season with Matt Eberflus, and now they're just looking for a new offensive mind. And now to the big stuff, the head coaching firings, the first of which coming out of Atlanta with Arthur Smith. Um, in his three seasons with the team, they've had three consecutive 7-10 and 10 records. Last, they closed out his tenure getting their asses well by the New Orleans Saints. I mean, I wasn't surprised by this move. Were you? No. Being, being completely honest, I view Arthur, even though he's obviously like not as extensive, but what I've gathered is I kind of view Arthur Smith in the same light that I view Josh McDaniels. Um, and what I mean by that is when Arthur Smith was the offensive coordinator for the Titans, that's when they were their best offensively. That's when they were AFC championship, but AFC championship caliber team, a number one overall seed. Similar with Josh McDaniels, when he was an OC, that's when the past offense was clicking. I I really don't think he's a head coach. I think he's a really, really good offensive coordinator. Yeah, potentially, depending on the personnel around him, because. I want to say he was the offensive play caller in Atlanta, and it was not pretty. Um, all right, next up we have Washington Commanders electing to fire veteran head coach Ron Rivera. Not surprised at all. This seemed like a move that was going to happen. They just wanted to wait to the end of the season. Yeah. And then after that, it comes out with arguably the biggest shock of the week, the Tennessee Titans electing to fire Mike Vrabel. Um, after six seasons with the team, his first four seasons – they had winning records. The net three of those four seasons, not only did they make the playoffs, they were in the AFC Championship in 2019, had the number one seed in the AFC in 2021. It's We talked about this a lot, but I don't get it. I don't understand why you fire Mike Vrabel. Not saying the past couple of seasons have been good, but I'm not putting their struggles on him. Just forewarning you, I'm about to go on a tangent. Please do. This this is arguably the dumbest decision out of all the head coach firings in the whole uh, carousel so far. Like, like you just said, he's been there for six seasons. Four of his six seasons, when he had what was viewed as a competent roster, I'm not going to say great roster, but competent because those rosters still lacked holes in key areas. He got you to the AFC Championship. He got you to the number one seed in the AFC. He won, He made it to the playoffs. These past two seasons where he lost, not only did he have horrible rosters that were constructed, but he also had a lot of injuries. Like, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was last year. It was 2019. The Titans broke the record for the most signed players to an NFL team. 
because they had that many injuries. These past two seasons, they were full of injuries. And it was a poorly constructed roster. Like, none of the losing that went on in, in Nashville had anything to do with Mike Burton, in my opinion. Yes, because even with uh, even in these two losing seasons, I still think he overachieved and won more games than I think they should have actually won. Like, it's crazy to think that, like, and the rumor is they're letting them, part of the reason they're letting them go is because the, the front office organization wanted to do a rebuild, but he, he doesn't want to do a rebuild. And it's like, when you think about it from this context, you might have potentially found your, your guy at quarterback in Will Lewis. You're going into an offseason where the Titans are going to have the most cap space out of any team in the NFL. And you have, if I'm not mistaken, the seventh or eighth pick in the NFL draft. Like, you have room to potentially, with Mike Vrabel in tow, you have the room to potentially flip that whole roster around and be right back turning into a perennial playoff AFC powerhouse level team, and you don't want to do that, and so you let him go. And like I said last show, if Derrick Henry and Mike Vrabel are out, I'm out, and I mean it. Like I done already told everybody I know, I ain't rocking with the Titans no more. Cause like to me, that's that's just incompetence and being stupid. And I can't rock with a fan. Or I can't be a fan of a team that just makes no decision. I can I can be a fan of a team that loses and tries to make the best decisions, and they still end up losing. But when you do stupid stuff, I can't be a fan of the team no more. Yeah, this was bad. And I mean, it in it I saw this post cuz obviously when Mike Vrabel gets fired, like a lot of people have opinions, a lot of people are chiming in. And uh Ari Murav had a good point and was saying that the downhill for the Titans was trading away AJ Brown. That's when everything yep. started to hit the fan. And so I think and I also just saw something like it was rumored that Mike Vrabel wanted roster control, but instead they hired Rand Carthen to like run personnel changes. Cause let's be honest, Mike Vrabel wasn't the one trying to get AJ Brown off that team. Like there's literally a press conference before the draft where he says if he had it his way, AJ Brown wasn't going nowhere. Now John Robinson, whoever thought it was a good idea to let him walk, but it was crazy. So yeah, I'm definitely shocked me the fact that they fired him, but he's gonna land on his feet. I would argue he's probably the most popular or best coaching candidate available, depending on the type of team you want to have. And so moving on to one of the more shocking decisions, um, it was announced that the uh, Seattle Seahawks were parting ways with head coach Pete Carroll. Um, he'd been with the organization for almost two decades. However, they decided that it's time for a fresh start. Um, he could potentially still remain with the organization working at, in a front office role, but he said there's a possibility that he might go into coaching. So when you heard about Pete Carroll, A, were you surprised? And B, do you think that he will end up coaching somewhere else or will he just kind of like take a bit of a behind the scenes role? I was surprised about the move because he, it came, in my opinion, it was just, it came out of nowhere just like the Braves. Like, and 
I mean, you look at this season, like they were a game or two away from making the playoffs again. Um, and when you look at, unlike the Titans, when you look at the roster in Seattle, like outside of maybe questions around, you know, a quarterback is being like a franchise guy, but like they have a playoff caliber roster. Um, so I definitely was surprised by do I I think he's going to end up in the front office because I just I just feel like these like the NFL is going kind of like you stated in your three takeaways the NFL is starting to go into this next generation of the NFL and I think some of these coaches that are like long in the tooth and have these ways I don't think people are necessarily going to look at him look at them the way that people are assuming they are like I think they might get jobs but it's also like bro you're you're 71 most if I'm going to hire you as my head coach like how many more years can you give me as a head coach like are you going to coach to you close to 80 I highly doubt it yeah so I think like I do think he's going to end up in a problem bro and also, I mean, he takes another coaching role. That's fine and all, but then he's got to pack up and move everything. He's got to learn new surroundings. He got to learn all new people. Just start over from scratch. And when you're set in your seventies, I can imagine you not feel like doing all that. So I, I agree. I think that he is going to like take a backseat role. And then last but not least, we kind of all figured it was going to come, but it became officially official uh, yesterday that. The uh, New England Patriots and head coach Bill Belichick have decided to mutually part ways after 24 seasons together. And we, a lot of people, my, you and me included, have talked about the possibility of Mike Rabel going and taking over in New England in the event of Mr. Belichick's demise. But instead, it is former Patriot and current, well, I guess former inside linebackers coach uh, Gerard Mayo, who is going to take over as the new head coach. He will be formally introduced in a press conference next week. So it's got me to thinking, do you think that with Gerard Mayo taking over, he's a guy who's played for Belichick, who's worked under Belichick as a coach. Do you think that this is, that the Patriot way that we've grown accustomed to is going to stay alive? Or do you think Mayo etches his own path and we see an entirely different Patriots team that we've become used to. I think I think Mayo's gonna etch his own path. I think something that we're gonna see in New England that's gonna be that we're used to seeing is I think they're still going to have a strong defense. Like, I mean he's a he's a middle linebackers coach. He played middle linebacker for the Patriots. I he's gonna be a defensive minded coach. Some of the things that like once he got announced earlier this morning, and like obviously I immediately turned it on ESPN, and they had a couple of dudes that like used to play with Gerard and kind of been around the Patriots locker room as he's been there as a middle linebackers coach. They said that he had he has ways that are similar to Bill Belichick, but he also has ways where he's relational and can connect with players, and I think that's going to be the shift. I think he's going to be a guy that he's going to be able to coach this, like, upcoming generation in newer age players because he can be relational with those players. I mean, that's why I thought Mike Vrabel was going to work because he did that in Nashville. Like, he 
he was a guy when he came in. He kind of was because I, I follow, um, I listened to Busting with the Boys podcast with Taylor and Juan and Will Compton, and they were form, their former Titans players on the Braves. And they said when he first got there, he was an a hole, and then a couple of years in, he kind of shifted and became a guy that you could build relationships with. And I think that's what's going to happen with Gerard Mayo is. Maybe the first year, year and a half, two years, he might be a bit of an a-hole. But then it's going to make this shift to like, oh, he's going to be a, a guy that guys want to play for. And I think something worth noting is Gerard's been on that coaching staff for the past several years. So he's going to know the guys in the locker room already. He's already going to have those relationships. So I think that will be beneficial as it kind of turn this corner into a new era. But I just – I'm interested to see, like, okay, because they already stated they're going to hire a GM who's going to be in charge of personnel. So he's not going to, like, be like Bill Belichick and have that much control. I'm just excited to see – we know that the Patriots' defense – like, defense is still going to be important, but how much of a jolt is this offense going to get? How aggressive are they going to be in trying to get those big playmakers? Because under Belichick, with the exception of Randy Moss, like, they really weren't going out trying to pay these guys a whole bunch of money, these superstar big-name guys. They would get guys who were solid enough, let Tom Brady do the rest. And I'm excited to see how it all looks because, I mean, like I said, we've gotten so used to seeing what the Patriots were and so to see it change now is it's going to be very, very interesting. But all right, last thing before we move on to the NBA, let's rank the head coach and openings. As of right now, there are seven, like we mentioned, Gerard Mayo taking over for the Patriots um, and Bill Belichick. And so the current options are the Carolina Panthers, Washington Commanders, Las Vegas Raiders, Seattle Seahawks, uh, Los Angeles Chargers, Atlanta Falcons, and Tennessee Titans. Seven openings. Do you want to start at the best or the worst? Worst. Bad. All right. We're probably going to agree at the worst. Carolina. Yeah. Carolina's bad. You don't have a first-round pick. Um, you not stuck with, but at least for the next year, you're you're stuck with Bryce Young, who hasn't shown you too, too much. Obviously, that could change if you get better personnel around him, but still, his rookie year wasn't that inspiring. Um, it's going to be hard to recruit players to want to come there. Uh, they're, you're not sitting on a boatload of cap space, and your owner is very problematic. It's not pretty. To me, second worst, I think I'm going to say Washington. I'll say Tennessee because this is a team, again, that has a lot of holes. And Will Levis has shown some promise. Will Levis showed some good things. But overall, you got to fix that offensive line. You got to get some weapons at receiver. You might be have to replace Derrick Henry. Ty J Spears is cool, but you got to do something there. You got to find a big D tackle who potentially can replace Sierra Tart. I think Danico Autry has a contract coming up. Big Jeff is great, but you need more around him. Linebackers are cool, but you can use depth. Corners, secondary, like, it's a lot that needs to be done in Tennessee. Um, but I would say commanders are like, I put them five because at least if you're not sold on Sam Howell, you have the second overall pick. And so if you want Drake May or Caleb Young, I mean, Caleb Williams, whoever's there, you can work from there. You got Terry McLaurin, who is a building block. Um, Brian Robinson has shown some good things. And defensively, you kind of, you, your secondary is solid. But that front seven, you got a lot. You got a lot to play with because after you trade away Montez Sweat and uh, 
Chase Young, obviously there's going to be work that needs to be done. For me, at five, I have the Tennessee Titans. Um, at least for the time being, you potentially have your quarterback in the future and Will Davis. I know that they have a lot of holes on their roster, but they're also going into the offseason with the most cap space out of any team in the NFL. Um, I think that, like, I don't, I think that they could be intriguing, especially if you're a, a defensive minded head coach, because you already, like, you already have cornerstone pieces in, on the defense in Big Jeff. Um, and you can, you can, you can build like they have they have a, a definitive strength, and if you're going into it from that aspect, you can you can play with it. And like the offensive side, yes, you have to improve the offensive line and and try to replace Derrick Henry. I know they're high on Tajay Spears, so yeah, I just think like going into it with potentially at least for the time being, knowing who your guy is at quarterback and like having cap room. I think that's a, a kind of bit more attractive than Washington. Oh no! But also, you mentioned getting a defensive coach. They had a defensive coach. I mean, again, from what I've seen, all the reports are that they're interested in like another defensive-minded guy. Like they're they want they have interest in y'all defensive coordinator and like. I, none of the guys that they reportedly had interest in are like OCs. It's all been DCs. Which is cool, but again, it begs the question, then why would you fire Vrabel? But, Which is why I'm not supporting the team in Nashville. That's, that's incredibly stupid to me. Yeah. Like you had the guy. Um, number four is the Las Vegas Raiders. Truthfully, I don't even think they should have an opening. I would just give the job to Antonio Pierce, but that's just me. Um, but I think that this is a team that has shown some potential. Um, obviously, you need a quarterback. Aiden O'Connell is not the future, but the offensive line is solid. I feel like with the season that Josh Jacobs just had, you could probably bring him back in and be relatively cheap. I mean, he's just a year removed from being the lead, league's leading rusher. Devontae Adams, who possibly could get traded, I mean, on the one hand, you trade Devontae Adams, you get a high draft pick, you can work from there. Or you keep Devontae Adams and you give whoever your new quarterback is a surefire number one option. Defensively, Max Crosby is a great player. Um, you're still trying to see what you got in Tyree Wilson, but Malcolm Kuhn shows some nice things. Robert Spillane holding it down at linebacker. And your secondary is young and could use another boost. But, again, they show that they're competent. And Jack Jones looked like one of the best in-season acquisitions this entire year so I think the Raiders you get the right coach there I think that they could at the very least become entertaining yeah I agree Raiders are the Bulls best opening of everything that you said and like from the quarterback standpoint I think you're going into a you're going into an offseason where you have a, you could potentially have a lot of interesting uh, choices for a quarterback like her cousins could potentially be available. You don't know what he'll look like from the injury, but if he can play anything like what he played before he got hurt, he's drastically better than anything that they have in quarterback. Um, you have Russell Wilson being available. Like, I know the name isn't sexy, but you have Ryan Tannehill out there. Like, you have 
some options in quarterback that you could potentially add to that team. And then, like you said, if you want to just say, hey, screw it, let's go for a big, uh, a top guy in quarterback, you can you can trade Devontae Adams and maybe get a higher draft pick. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and move on to number three. This is where I have the Seattle Seahawks. Like, the thing you showed me earlier, I think it was CBS Sports had them number one, which is okay. But I don't – I think it's a good job, but I think there are other things that make it a bit more complicated. For example, you don't have that much draft capital because you traded that second over – I mean, second-round pick for Leonard Williams, who's a free agent. If you want to bring him back, you're going to have to pay him, and his price tag is going to be relatively hefty. Um, there are other valuable free agents that you have to think about bringing back in, like Bobby Wagner, who's amazing. Jordan Brooks, who proved himself to be a really good linebacker. you got some offensive linemen, interior-wise, I mean, that possibly need to be re-signed or have to be replaced. you got to figure out what you want to do with Geno because you clearly have the weapons. you got DK, you got Tyler Lockett, uh, Kenneth Walker back there. You know that it's one of those teams where, like, you just need the right quarterback to come and put it all together. I'm just not sold on Geno being that guy. And then flip the script defensively, it's a lot of questions because you got a lot of guys making a lot of money who aren't exactly producing the way that you want them to. Kind of, for example, I hate to say it, but Jamal Adams. When he plays, he's good, but it's hard consistently getting him on the field. Uh, Reek Woolen, your second-year corner, is kind of taking a step back. Quandre Diggs was really, really good, but I believe he has a contract coming up soon. Uh, Julian Love played solid, but you got to figure out what you want to do with safety. Like, I think that this is a good team that just, I think, is a quarterback away from being really, really good. But it's like, I don't know. I just, I, it'll be, I think it's interesting to see what a coach will do because you're in a division with the San Francisco 49ers, which is touch sledding enough. But then you're also in a division with the Rams who just swept you guys. And by far, they have less overall talent. So I think it's a good job, but I don't think it's as great as people are making it out to be. Yeah, because now that you said it, when you, when you brought up, I forgot about the free agency aspect of it all. Because it's like, you, they do have to resign Leonard Williams. I, I personally think Bobby Wagner is going to retire now that he peaks out in, uh, in Seattle. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. He said pretty definitively he planned on playing. And somebody's going to get that man a contract, even if it's not Seattle. That's true. Uh. But, yeah, like, you got to resign those linebackers. And it's a lot of linebacker needy teams that's going to be in the offseason of Pittsburgh. So, I, I think I agree with you. They are the third best option. All right, number two for me, I'm going to say the Los Angeles Chargers. Obviously, the Chargers have the biggest piece of the puzzle. They have their quarterback. Justin Herbert's locked up. They don't have to worry about that. But that team is... It's crazy how talented they are and just how much of a hot mess they are simultaneously. Like, you got a guy like Derwin James back there, uh, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, Asante Samuel, Eric Kendricks you brought in last year, and yet that defense is routinely terrible. Offensively, you have great weapons in Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Quentin Johnston, Austin Eckler, but they struggle to stay healthy. And so obviously you can't predict someone's health or not, but when this team is healthy and they're clicking, they're one of the best teams in the AFC. And I think that as a coach, that would be appealing because you know 
that this isn't a team that needs a whole bunch of work done. This isn't a team that has a lot of stuff that has to be fixed. Not that they're ready-made, but they're in a good spot. But alternatively, they also are in cap hell. Like, as of right now, they are negative $34 million in cap. So clearly, people heads are going to roll. People are going to have to go. And so it's going to take a lot of financial and roster maneuvering to get this team ready. And so, again, Justin Herbert is very alluring. But I think that dealing with the current roster and the cap situation, I think that's what prevents it from being number one. Yeah, we put it like that. I got to agree with you on that one as well. Because on the surface, it's like, oh, Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, Quentin Johnson. Then you look at the defense, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, Darren James, Asante Samuel. It's like, oh, we said. But then you look at it from the cap standpoint, it's like, yeah, some of these guys we just named are going to have to go. Uh, so, yeah, I got to agree with you with it too. And then number one, which if you would have asked me this like a month or so ago, I think it was a lie. But now – I think I would say I think the Atlanta Falcons are the best job. Right now they're sitting at $37 million in cap space. You pretty much have free reign to find your quarterback, whether that be trying to take a quarterback in the first round, maybe trade up, or try to find somebody in free agency and make it work. This is an offense that has, again, it has solid pieces who are cheap. They're still on rookie deals. B. John Robinson, Tyler Algier, Drake London, Kyle Pitts. You get another receiver in there. You potentially have a top 15 offense. And then defensively, they absolutely outperform. We don't know whether or not Calais Campbell is going to retire or not, but if he does elect to come back, he's going to be another key cog in that front seven. Their secondary played fairly well. Jesse Bates looked like a great free agent signing. And again, you got a good amount of cap space. You can figure out how you want to maneuver this offense. And probably the biggest selling point to me is you play in the NFC South, which is arguably the weakest division in the league. Had a couple plays gone differently for the Falcons, not only could they be in the playoffs, but they could be division champs. I agree with you with everything you just said. And from the defensive standpoint, the defense overperformed in a year when going into it, maybe their best defensive player at the time, and Grady Jarrett got hurt. Yeah, and I can't wait. I cannot wait to see. And and it's like like you stated, they're in the weakest division in the NFL. And, like, no offense to this man because he absolutely played way better than I expected. The team that won a division was was quarterback quarterback by Baker Mayfield. Yeah. And I mean, this wasn't even a good year by the Bucks defense. Yes. So, like, if you get, again, like I said, I think in the terms of when I was mentioning, uh, like Tennessee, not Tennessee, uh, shoot, what team I was just talking about that might need a quarterback? Washington. Yeah, like Washington. If you're able to, say you get, like, say, Again, Denver drops, which is wild to think that Russell Wilson in Atlanta. But hypothetically speaking, say Denver does cut Russell Wilson and you're able to bring in Russell, he plays the way he played for the Broncos this season, you, you're with the way that everything else played out. If they repeat themselves, you're winning this division in my mind. A thousand percent. All right, but let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. 
not as much to talk about just because, I mean, the NFL was crazy this week. Um, But, yeah, let's start off with Mamba Players of the Week. Of the Eastern Conference, I'm going Giannis. Same. Western Mamba, I'm going Kyrie Irving. He's been on an absolute tear. Just dropped 44 last night. Same. I'm, from, the, from their 44 standpoint, I feel like their 44 was personal. Like, yeah. on some, like, I really wanted to play in New York for the Knicks. And y'all didn't come get me, so I'm finna, I'm finna get y'all the business type of person. Yeah, and they never, and they never try to go get them. Like they'll say it, and it would make so much sense, but it's cool. They got Jalen Brunson, and Jalen Brunson is cool, but nah, 44 and a four point win, that's impressive. Um, and then my rookie Mamba is Wimby. Yeah, same. All right, and then top three takeaways. Uh, for me, number three, last night's Suns versus Lakers game was a textbook definition as as to why the Suns went after Bradley Beal. I know it's been a lot of highs and lows with his health, but this was just a reminder of, like, Bradley Beal can ball. And it's easy to forget that because he has been on the field consistently, but when he's good, he's good. And, I mean, he's just an, almost a perfect third option with uh, D-Book and Kevin Durant. Just dropped 37 last night, his high of the season. And him and Book combined for 68 points. Obviously, that's not going to happen every night, but if you can get Bradley Beal going and getting him comfortable in this offense, it can lead to big things. For me, my number three um, is I don't know who the Memphis Grizzlies pissed off, but can you please stop? Like, yeah. you know, like, we hear, okay, John Morant's after the season. All right, what do the, what do the Grizzlies do? They go, I think, on a 3 you know, road trip street. Then it's like at the end of these road trip run, oh, Marcus Smart has a finger injury and is out for, the, for like, I think, oh, what, six, six weeks? weeks? Yep. Yeah, bro. Can, like, whoever has the dog, can you stop poking it? Like, it's, it's tiring right now. Yeah, the NBA script writers, I don't, they're a bit disrespectful to Memphis. I don't know what Memphis did to y'all, but very it's very unfortunate um number two the celtics probably still are the best team in the eastern conference but last night was a reminder that anybody can get beat and low-key charles barkley jinxed them because on uh tnt he was like there's nobody in the nba on the level with the celtics right now and what happened to the celtics they got blown out 135 to 102 and to be fair, it's the Bucks, and the Bucks are a very good team in their own right too. But I just think it's way too early in this season to be anointing anybody as like definitely going to be NBA champions or definitely going to do this, definitely going to be that. Because at the end of the day, like we say with football, any given Sunday, any given night in the NBA, anybody can be beaten. Yeah, I I actually have a takeaway from the same guy. My number two last night proved that as far. As far as the NBA is concerned, the regular season means nothing. Yeah. Like, the Celtics have by far looked like they're the best team in the regular season. But when you look up, when you looked at that game last night, the Bucks played with like a playoff like intensity. Um, like they they were defending, they were offensively, they were executing, and Giannis was playing like. He was the best player in the NBA. And no offense to Jaylen, Jason Tatum, but, like, you you have moments where you play, like, when you're one of the top five best players in the NBA. You still haven't had the moments where you play, like, you're the guy in the NBA. And Giannis did that last night. You saw the result. Yeah. 
Agreed. Um, and then my number one, it also pertains to your Grizzlies, but it's like, hey, it's Desmond Bain's time to shine. Like, Desmond Bain has had big games, but nobody's ever talked about him being the Grizzlies guy because it's Ja's team, and rightfully so. But now with Ja done for the year, Jaron Jackson's been playing well, but I think that this is the year that Desmond Bain could submit himself as the best player on this current team. And if he gets into the playoffs – Regardless of what happens after that, I think that that's going to enter him into a new stratosphere as one of the NBA's top 25, 30 players overall. Yeah, mine's – yeah, I agree with you. I, I just feel like this, like, for the remainder of the season, this is going to be the um, sharpening period for Dez and Jared. I mean, you saw it in the first half of the season, like first 25 games when the job was out with the suspension. Like, yes, they were losing, but you were seeing Dez and Jared playing in ways that you've never seen them play before. And when you, like, if you if they keep having to continue to do that this season, when you look up next season and you have a complete, fully healthy roster, the Grizzlies are going to be one of the scariest teams in the Western Conference. Yeah. Agreed. Um, all right, let's go ahead and look at some roster moves, starting with your Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, they've elected to waive center Bismack Biombo and sign uh, guard slash forward Vince Williams uh, to a three-year 7.9 contract. A great story. 47th overall pick last year in the draft out of VCU getting that team option and now playing himself to a contract. Congratulations to him. Um, big money moves coming out of South Beach. The Miami Heat have signed head coach Eric Spolster to an eight-year, $120 million extension, one of the biggest in NBA history, especially considering Coach Pop got a big contract this year. Monty Williams got a big contract from the Pistons. But of the three, at this stage, I think Eric Spolster is the most deserving. And last but not least, the Los Angeles Clippers have locked up Kawhi Leonard, signing him to a three-year, $153 million extension, and are currently working on an extension with uh, Paul George as well. It's a good sign, in my opinion, that they are extending Kawhi. But let's say in the next few years, how far do you think this Clipper team goes with Kawhi and Paul George, assuming he gets an extension done as well? Being honest, because the thing about I'm just basing it kind of off of this season. Relatively, Kawhi and Paul George have been healthy this whole season. Yeah, knock on wood. Knock on wood. So, like, if they're able to remain relatively healthy throughout the playoffs and throughout these upcoming seasons, I honestly and truly can see the Clippers winning at least one title. Because like, I almost hit Kyrie when they're saying, but I almost gave my mama a week to Kawhi Leonard because Kawhi Leonard has been looking like one of the best players in the NBA whenever he touched the court this season. Yeah. And he's making it look easy. And, like, you put him, like, a healthy version of him in the playoffs and then you pair that with like a healthy version of Paul George that doesn't have to be the guy, like they're scary. And I can see them 
potentially, if they're healthy, winning at least one title. Yeah, I could absolutely see it that well, especially because, you know, the Clippers team is just going to continue to evolve. And like you said, if they can stay healthy, they could be dangerous. All right, unfortunately, let's talk about the players who are not currently healthy, starting with Warriors guard Chris Paul, who suffered a left-hand fracture and is expected to be out the next four to six weeks. Pacers guard uh, Tyrese Halliburton caught a big break um, earlier this week um, after he was diagnosed with a grade one left hamstring strain. He's going to be reevaluated in the next two weeks, but luckily avoided a serious injury. Big news for Pacers fans um, and just basketball fans across the board because Tyrese Halliburton has been a lot of fun to watch. And then like you mentioned earlier with your Grizzlies, Marcus Smart is going to be out approximately the next six weeks after suffering a severe right finger injury. And then John Morant is done for the year with a right torn labrum. So rough times. And as we are on the podcast now, breaking news, Washington's coach Kalen DeBoer is negotiating a contract to replace Alabama's Nick Saban. So good luck, Coach DeBoer, because it is going to be fun in the SEC. Yeah. Do not envy him. All right, uh, let's go ahead and play our game of Believable or Before We Get Up Out of Here. So, Draymond Green has been allowed to return from his suspension. He missed 12 overall games. And, I mean, it's a lot on the line uh, with him coming back and overall just what his behavior is going to be. So much so that his head coach, Steve Kerr, says, I think Draymond knows his career is on the line. He recognizes that it is different this time. So, Believable or buffoonery, another suspension due to doing the typical Draymond buffoonery could be the end of Draymond's career. I think it's believable Um, because, like, like let's look at it from let's look at it from this aspect. All the stuff that happened with Ja last season, right? Mm -hmm. So. He did it once, then he did it again. He had 25 games. That was him only doing it twice in one season, which is still incredibly stupid. Draymond Green has had, like, almost close to a decade worth of incidents that you can pull up. Like, it's a highlight reel on YouTube of the stuff that he's done to people. Like, and I think... Yeah, I think, and I think Adam Silver, as much as he is a player's coach, I think at some point he will be, he will have to draw a line. Like, yeah, bro, you can't be in my league no more. Yeah, and I mean, even if he's not necessarily like suspended from the league indefinitely, I could absolutely be in a seat, be in a case of the Warriors are like, you know what, we're gonna cut you, we're gonna move on, and then nobody brings him in just because one, he's aging, and two, like. Do you really want to deal with this buffoonery? Especially if you got a young team, you're trying to mold them, get them right. As much as Draymond has shown some of that leadership, especially when the Warriors were kind of verging and like turning themselves into a dynasty, do you want to run the risk of bringing in Draymond in a new surrounding? He ends up getting into a, one of your players and he try to punch them in the face. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I think that one more slip up is going to be costly because like you said, over his entire career, there's some, but this season alone, he's already had two big ones, choking Rudy and punching Nurkic. So I think that, yeah, I think one more could really be it. I hope for his sake he doesn't do it, but with Draymond, you really never know. 
All right, uh, let's move on and continue the conversation about the Warriors. The trade deadline is in just a few weeks, and their name has been brought up in conversations uh, surrounding Pascal Siakam forward for the Toronto Raptors. And there are many who think that there's a chance that they could work out a great trade, particularly Paul George, who on his podcast said, I saw them put Pascal, Pascal and Kuminga in a trade, and I thought about it and thought it was a win for both sides. As we all know, we talked about it last week. Jonathan Kuminga vocalized some frustrations he's had with Steve Kerr and his lack of consistent playing time. And Pascal Siakam wants to play on a winning team. So believable or buffoonery, uh, Kaminga for Siakam trade would be a win for both sides. I'm going to say, I'm being truthfully honest, I'm going to say buffoonery because I think it's really only going to benefit the Warriors. And the reason I say this from the from the Raptor side of it is you're going to bring in Kaminga who you have to develop and could potentially develop to be the, like a B a potential guy, but isn't that what you want to do with Scotty Barnes? And like everyone saying, hey, get rid of Pascal so that you can then go and develop and grow Scotty Barnes. So from that standpoint, to me, it doesn't make sense to let Pascal go to then bring in another guy that you have to like kind of um share the development with Scotty Barnes instead of letting Pascal go, bringing in a complimentary piece and fully diving into the development of Scotty Barnes. That's real. And also, I don't even think it's a, a slam dunk for the Warriors because Pascal Siakam's in a fre- uh, free agency year. Like, he's on the last year of his deal, so you're going to have to cough up big money to pay him. And I don't think it's necessarily a guarantee that they're going to work something out with Clay. But if you get to the end of the season and then you're tasked with, well, do we play Clay Thompson or do we play Pascal Siakam? And, I mean, Siakam, he's younger. You might be able to get more out of him over the next few years. That would make sense. But I can understand that having some organizational repercussions, like with guys who've been in the locker room, like potentially a Steph, who could possibly feel some type of way because you gave Pascal that money but didn't want to play K. I mean, pay Clay. So I think – I think it could make sense, but I don't – I long run, I don't think it may be the best move for the Warriors. And like you said, with Kaminga, like, you're still kind of working towards his development because, let's be honest, the Warriors have never totally dedicated themselves to his development because they haven't had to. They've just relied on their veteran guys. This is the first year that he's been called upon to play significant minutes, especially with Draymond being suspended. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, last thing before we make our uh, game nightly game predictions – uh, Carmelo Anthony recently spoke on the Brook- the 7 p.m. Brooklyn podcast and talked about the Denver Nuggets giving his number 15 to Nikola Jokic and said it was a petty maneuver. What I believe is that the Nuggets gave him 15 to try to erase what I did. So, believable or buffoonery, the Nuggets disrespected Melo by giving away his number. Uh, I'm on. I'm on two sides of the fence of this. One, I'm going, I think it's buffoonery because no one knew that Nikola Jokic was going to turn out to be this level of player. Like, this was a dude that got drafted in the second round doing the Taco Bell commercial. Right. Um, on the other hand, 
I do think it's petty because the Nuggets should have retired Melo's number a while ago. And, like, I know he, you know, hasn't won a championship with them. But, like, he got them as close and was a fixture for their team, as close to being a championship-level team that they have been in years. So, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of torn in the middle. It's tough because I think it is unfortunate from Melo's standpoint because this new generation of basketball fans, when they see 15 for the Nuggets, they're instantly going to think of Nikola Jokic. I get it. MVP, finals, won a championship, finals MVP. But like you said, like Melo had a hell of a career in Denver and helped to kind of put them back on the map. Sure, they didn't win a championship Well, he was there, but he did get them to the Western Conference Finals. They did go blow for blow with the Lakers. Um, and I think that I, I would be frustrated too, but it's like, like you said, it's kind of tough because it's not like Nikola Jokic is a scrub, you know? Like, it's not like he's just a random guy. It's not like, I think, a perfect example for this is like the Seattle Seahawks, after they trade away Russell Wilson, they gave number three to like a backup cornerback. Yeah. And so, but I can understand, if anything, because Nikola Jokic has been great, it might make it worse because, like I said, the mem- the lasting memory of that jersey for some generations is going to be Nikola Jokic and not Melo. And so it'll be kind of forgetting that. I'm being honest. I'm not even, I don't even think it'll be some generations. I think it'll be a majority. Yeah. And the, re- and the reason I say that is because, like, if Nikola Jokic continues to play on the same pace and trajectory that he's been playing, I mean, I can even argue it now. Nikola Jokic is the best player in the history of the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, I would have guard. Oh, for sure. And so, like, when you think about it from this standpoint, it's like this man that has this number now is associated with being the best player in the history of an organization. Y'all ain't gonna remember Melo. No. Like the the real hoop heads, the OGs, they're gonna remember Melo. But like when you when it's like when you say, hey, when you think of Denver Nuggets basketball, Nikola Jokic. Yeah. Because he's the best player of the organization in the history of the organization. So like that's why I think it's hard because like again. And maybe, and I know, because I remember when he got drafted, he wore, like, number nine or something, because he wasn't 15 to start out. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, it's just a tough situation. Like, if I was him, I would be upset, because it's like, I understand, like, me leaving wasn't on the best terms, but at the end of the day, I suited up on a nightly basis and gave my heart and went to battle against some of the best players in the history of the NBA. Not just in that time period, but the history. I went to battle against the Kobe's, the LeBron's, the, you know, for a stand for like, and like, for that to be kind of just like, white, come across as whitewashed, I would be upset too. Yeah, I agree. It, it's a messed up situation. Like I said, I think I'm more, I, if I'm mellow, I'm more upset because Nikola Jokic is good. Because if Nikola Jokic was a scrub, He'd be out of the NBA or gone, and he'd be like, all right, well, whatever, you know, 15 is mellow. But now, 
Yeah, it's, it's a tough situation. I don't know if they did it. I'll say this. I don't think they did it to be petty, specifically giving it to Nikola Jokic, because who would have thought Nikola Jokic would be Nikola Jokic? But I understand his point of view. But all right, let's make some game picks and get up out of here. Uh, starting things off with tonight's game between the Sacramento Kings and the Philadelphia 76ers. I don't think Joel Embiid is playing, so I'm going Kings. Uh, next up, we got the Indiana Pacers versus the Atlanta Hawks. I got Hawks. Hawks. Houston Rockets versus the Detroit Pistons. I'm going Rockets. Rockets. Los Angeles Clippers versus the Memphis Grizzlies. As much as I want the Grizzlies to win, I'm going I'm going Clippers. Excuse me. Clippers. Orlando Magic versus the Miami Heat. I'm going Heat. Portland Trail Blazers versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm going Timberwolves because I'm sorry seeing y'all lose by almost 60 points. Nah. Yeah, Timberwolves. Golden State Warriors versus the Chicago Bulls. I'm going to go Bulls. Yeah, Bulls. Charlotte Hornets versus San Antonio Spurs. I'm going Spurs. Spurs. Toronto Raptors versus the Utah Jazz. I think I'm going to go Raptors. Raptors. And last but not least, New Orleans Pelicans versus the Denver Nuggets. I got Nuggets. Nuggets. All right, that is our show. Thank y'all so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel inside the export. Also, Football Heads, Wild Card Round uh, preview. Check that out. It's a good, like, hour and 15 minutes or so. Getting real in-depth in the games. So, yeah, give it a listen if you so desire. Um, anything you want to say before we get up out of here? Got a question. Mm-hmm. So, with the playoffs being intact, what other potential head coaching jobs do you think might become open? I saw something that uh, Stephen A. Smith said that I actually do agree with. If you're the Cowboys – and if you lose to anybody in the playoffs besides the San Francisco 49ers, Mike McCarthy should be fired, and I agree with that. I do as well. But other than that, I don't see Mike Tomlin going nowhere. John Harbaugh ain't going nowhere. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McDermott. Like, I think everybody else's jobs are pretty safe. But Mike McCarthy, like, if they lose in the first round to the um, Packers, he's, oh, he's gone. He's gone. He's gone. He gone. I will say – the only other one, I, the rum, me and you talked about this off air. The rum is, is a potential possibility that Mike Tomlin might retire. I don't think it's true. But the other one that I do could possibly see some validity in is the, if the Eagles lose and they get rid of Nick Sirianni. I had a conversation with my coworkers about this. I. If they lose in the first round, I think it definitely adds validity to it, even though I don't think he should be fired. So, but if, but yeah, I think that's the only way it possibly could happen is that if they lose to the Bucks, because honestly, like, this hasn't, it's crazy. Like, the first 11 weeks of the season, they're 10-1. and one. They look like one of, if not the best teams in the entire NFL. Yes, they go on a collapse. They lose one of the next five. And it's ugly, but at the end of the day, it's still like, it's hard to count out Philly. 
And I think that it's a lot of other things that went wrong, whether it be injuries, whether it be the defense being old and just can't produce no more. Like, I mean, it's been a lot of things that haven't gone their way that I don't think are all Nick Sirianni's fault. Yeah, that's real. But – Yeah, that's our show. Again, we'll be back next week. Thank y'all again for listening, and we will see you all next time.